right, well, I, supp whoa. I suppose the uh, people of First Peter knew trouble. And uh, if you will, open in your Bibles with me this morning to First Peter. We're looking at chapter 1 uh, in your blue Bibles. It's on page 1014. I want to tell you that I have long desired to preach for us on this letter of First Peter. In fact, when I first arrived here at Christ the King 11 years ago, it was where I wanted to start uh, preaching. But much to my uh, chagrin, the interim preacher, one Tommy Keene, had apparently been preaching through First Peter at that point. I don't actually know how far he got in First Peter, but I felt like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'll have to wait. But I think 11 years is enough time to wait to allow us to go back to First Peter and to dive into this great uh, epistle. And so we begin today with a letter that however brief, I think, speaks to us as the people of God of the complexity and the tensions of trying to live as a follower of Jesus Christ in a world that doesn't find being a follower of Jesus Christ or a follower of the way, as the church was called in the early days, a thing that makes a lot of sense to them. And so Peter guides us along in those tensions. It's oh so easy for us as the people of God to become disoriented, confused about our lives, frustrated, discouraged, disillusioned about what it means to be the people of God in this world. And from first verse to the very last verse of this letter, Peter says, okay, I know that, and I'm going to speak directly to that and to you, to them, and to us as well. So we're starting today with just the very first two verses uh, that I'm going to read for us now. This is the Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Elect exiles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word, for every part of your word, but for this word that you have for your people then and now. And we pray that you would help us as your people to hear well, to listen well, to let this word go down deep into our hearts. Lord, we pray that it would do its perfect work in us today. And Jesus, we pray that trusting in you. Amen. All right, today, as we look at this text and as we start off uh, with this uh, letter, I don't want to provide a lot of introduction because these two first two verses of the letter are, of course, in and of themselves, an introduction into the letter. So we're going to let these uh, verses serve to be the introduction. Uh, the structure of this passage, the, the first two verses, is pretty clear to us. I think it should be clear to all of you. It's clear in the way that it is written in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles open, and also in your bulletins as well, that there are three sections to the verses that I have read. The first section is, of course, Peter introducing and identifying himself. The second section 
is at the end of verse 1 and into verse 2 as well, where Peter identifies the recipients of his letter to whom he is writing. And then, of course, the third section is the greeting that he gives to them. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So Peter. Peter was given, as you know, a commission from our Lord, right? Having failed the Lord, the Lord comes to him at the resurrection or after the resurrection and asks him the multiple times, Peter, do you love me? And as Peter reaffirms his love, the Lord then gives him the charge. All right, then care for my sheep. Now, Peter, no doubt, did that in many ways throughout his life. But one of the ways that he cares for the flock of Jesus Christ, for the sheep, is through this letter. That's what we've got today. Peter caring for the church. Peter doing exactly what Jesus has commissioned him to do. And today, as we look at this, what I want to do is, I gave you those three parts there, but I want to start in the middle. I want to start with that section that are the recipients of this letter from Peter, because that's really the, the meat of this sandwich. I'll come back to the introduction and to the greeting itself as we close out this morning. But I want to spend nearly all of our time looking at this description of to whom this letter is written. So, Peter begins to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's a vast area. It's a, it's a huge area that is spread out across what we refer to now as modern-day Turkey. Believers who were in all of those areas. One of the things that we don't know regarding this letter is how did P Peter know the people who were there. We, we don't have a record necessarily of Peter having traveled to those places, and of course had he traveled there, he would have been able to meet them. And so we're left to wonder a little bit, how did he get to know them, or, or why is he writing this letter particularly to them? Were some of the people in these churches, or some of the people who would in fact have probably started these churches, had they been travelers? Had they been pilgrims who bumped into Peter somewhere along the way, perhaps in Jerusalem or perhaps in Babylon? Or, or were they people, Peter is probably writing this letter from Rome, were they people from Rome who had either themselves moved to that area or been moved to that area in order to settle those particular areas as part of the Roman Empire. Had they been sent there, and Peter had met them in Rome, and now they're going off to these particular places. I say this is probably written from Babylon. That comes from the end of this letter. Peter kind of signs off this way, she who is at Babylon, that is to say the church who is at Babylon, uh, who likewise is chosen, sends you greeting. Uh, now, these, this Babylon wasn't Babylon as we think of Babylon the city. That was barely a city then. Instead, Babylon was a way to refer to people who were opposed to God. And in the book of Revelation in particular, uh, that is Rome. Rome is opposed to God. And so Peter is writing to Rome perhaps people who had been dispersed into these areas from Rome itself or 
another option, sorry, that was just an extended way of saying perhaps he met them in Rome, or perhaps he hasn't actually met them. Perhaps other people who have traveled to Rome from these areas have given this report to Peter about how there are believers out in these scattered and distant areas who could really use some encouragement, and so Peter writes to them in order to provide this encouragement. We don't know exactly how the connection takes place, but what is clear is that unlike other letters that we find in the New Testament that are sometimes addressed to specific churches, right? So you think of the letter to the Romans of Paul or to uh, Corinth or other cities to whom Paul writes, or you could think of uh, a letter that is addressed to an individual, to Timothy or Titus or Philemon, for example. Peter instead is written in a different way. It's, it's assumption is that this letter is going to be widely distributed. And so it's called a general epistle, one that is written out there for people in a lot of different situations, not just in one particular situation facing one particular or a couple of particular issues, but for people who are generally going to look at this letter and say, okay, how do I live the Christian life in this place where God has put me? So there is an intentional universality to this letter. I find that really appealing and really helpful to think about the life that we live as believers in a holistic way. Uh, it's, there's a Catholicity to this, okay? There's a, a way that this talks to all believers. So, so that's about all we can say about those areas themselves. But what gets really intriguing in this description of the believers is really this opening where we read, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And that's where we want to park. We want to stay right there and try to unpack what this really loaded phrase means. So just real quickly, each word, elect. Elect could also be a word that we use, chosen would be a synonym uh, for that. So these could be elect exiles, these could be chosen exiles, and take the word exiles. Exiles, other synonyms for, uh, for that would be pilgrims or sojourners, people who have been displaced in some way, people who are strangers in the land in which they find themselves. So you could have the idea of elect pilgrims or elect sojourners or chosen pilgrims, chosen sojourners, chosen strangers. And then the third term that is there is dispersion. And that is also a really important word. If you're looking down, if you've got an ESV Bible, or if you happen to be looking uh, at your bulletin right now, you will notice that the word dispersion is actually capitalized in there. That's a decision of the translators trying to say, this is what we think this means. Well, this word uh, another place where we would see this word used is in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, you'll recall that the church was being persecuted. And as a result of the persecution that took place in Jerusalem, the believers were dispersed. They were scattered, in other words. And that's the word that is used there. It's the verb form that is used there in Acts chapter 8. Uh, they're scattered to, from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria. They are dispersed there. But 
when you take that word and you use it as a noun, then the ESV looks at that and says, no, this is referring to something specific because this is a word that was used in the Greek version of the Old Testament to particularly refer to Jewish people who were living outside of the land that God had given to them. Uh, and especially, we can say especially, the focus is on when the people were in Babylon. Okay, that's the, the letter that we read from uh, Jeremiah earlier, addresses that time frame. But that is known as the dispersion, the dispersion of the Jews out into various nations. And so ESV says that's the reference point here, and it gives it the capital D so you know it's referring, or so they think you can say it's referring to something specific. So we've got elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, when we ask the question to whom Peter is addressing this, the general consensus is that Peter is not writing specifically or only to Jewish people who were scattered, but that in fact he's probably writing mostly to Gentile believers, to those who were not Jewish people. Not that there weren't uh, Jews who were reading this as well, but probably the Gentiles are his primary audience. And you get that from some of the letter, uh, some of the evidence within the letter itself in terms of the way that Peter refers to their past life. It would seem to be more appropriate the way he refers and dismisses their previous lives before they came to Christ to belong to Gentiles as opposed to characteristic of Jews who were trying to walk with the Lord. So if, in fact, Peter is primarily writing to Gentiles, then he's doing an extraordinary thing in this very opening phrase. He's taking these terms, elect exiles of the dispersion, each of which are loaded, full Old Testament biblical terms that applied specifically to Israel as the people of God, and he's taking those terms and applying them now to the church far flung in distant places and made up of all kinds of groups of people. Imagine this on a small scale, if you recall the story, of Peter in Cornelius's house and then explaining what happened. He says, they received the Spirit. How could we not eat with them? How could we not baptize them? And the same kind of thing is going on here now. Peter says, listen, God has increased what it means to be part of the people of God. And all of these words that used to apply specifically to Israel now apply to uh, the church and to believers who are not ethnically Jewish. And in so doing, what Peter is, is accomplishing here is he's helping them and he's helping us to understand who they are and how they fit slash don't fit into the world. How they fit and how they don't fit into the place in which they live. So he's even at this very initial point in the letter beginning to forge and form the identity of these believers with respect to God. Who are you with respect to God? Who are you with respect to one another? And who are you with respect to the world in which you live, the country, the nation, the area in which you live? 
Here's the idea. If we are going to be able to make any sense of our lives as believers, Peter says you have to embrace your identity as an elect exile. You have to embrace your identity in this world as a chosen pilgrim. If you don't do that, you'll never be able to make any sense of how to live the Christian life in the world in which we live. We're going to break this down now even a little bit more. What's the significance, first of all, of being in exile? Okay? If you are in exile, if you are one who has been exiled, you are by definition not at home. You are a foreigner. Your citizenship and your ultimate loyalty is to a different country from the one in which you live. And as a result of that, your culture is different from the culture of the people who are around you. And Peter gets it. Peter recognizes exactly that, that you are living in a place, but you're different than the people who are around you. And just to be clear, that this isn't a one-off. Peter continues this theme. I put some other verses there uh, in your bulletin right after the introduction just to show you that this theme continues. Verse 17 of chapter 1, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You're in exile. This is the time of your exile. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Your sojourners and your exiles. And of course, Peter is not the only place that talks about the people of God being sojourners and exiles in exile. On the front of your bulletin, I put Hebrews 13, 14. For here in this earth, We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This isn't our lasting home. This isn't our lasting city. If you were born and raised in Philadelphia, and if you love Philadelphia, and if you bleed Philadelphia, and if you have all of the right Philadelphia accents and love all of the right Philadelphia sports teams, you're not home. You are not home. This isn't your city. You live in it right now but you're not a citizen of it. Hebrews chapter 11 is where the the great section of this is actually found. You'll recall that the writer is here uh, praising the people of faith who have come before us, and in the section on Abraham, we read this, and I'm going to read it because it's the exact same thing that we're talking about, uh, verse 13 of, of 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We read the letter to the exiles in Babylon from Jeremiah just a few moments ago, and part of the hope of that letter is that, yes, you're going to now be spending extended time in exile in Babylon, 
but I'll take you back. I will bring you back to the land, to the place from which you were taken. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, what you realize is, well, that's good. It will be good for the people to be returned to Jerusalem. But that's not the final place. That's actually not their home. They were to see, and the best of them did see, that they were, not, we're not looking to get back to that place. That may be a great place, and that may be home. That may be where some of our roots are. But we're looking for a better country than that, a heavenly country in which we can dwell. And so people with the eyes of faith recognize that exilic status. And here's the point. Here's the point. As a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you are Jewish or not, whether you live in the country or city in which you were born or not, your identity is as an exile. Your identity is as a foreigner, and this has deep impact on the way we think about life, how we relate to people, how we relate to the society, to the culture that is around us, how we act, and how we react as well. Now, some of us know this experience literally, because some of you here have lived outside of your home culture, outside of the U.S. for some time, and I'm not talking about going on visits, I'm talking about living there. So, obviously, Nate, Lauren, and I lived 12 years outside of this culture. We knew what it was like to be a foreigner in a land that wasn't ours, to be, if you will, sojourners. But there's a difference between our situation and what Peter is saying, and the difference is we carried an American passport with us. And for now, and God willing, we'll see what happens in the future, that makes a difference. Okay, when, when you go abroad and you're carrying with you an American passport, there is to us afforded a certain level, I mean, there's derision that comes along with it, but there's a certain level of respect that comes along with having that passport as well. But as Peter is reflecting on the idea of being an exile and the life of an exile, what he is saying is, listen, the passport that you've got is actually far better than having an American passport, right? It's, an Ameri it's, a, it's a heavenly passport to the new Jerusalem, to the Israel of God, to the new heavens and the new earth. But it's not respected in the land where you live. It's an unknown place with unknown people, unknown authority, and it's disrespected. So his idea of living in exile is an idea where you receive as a result of that disrespect and derision. And Peter says, okay, how do you live in that reality? How do you live in the reality of holding a passport for the best country that there will ever be, for the strongest country that will ever be, for the one that is an unshakable country, you've got the passport for that, but now you're living in a place where no one cares about that passport, and in fact, they deride you for saying, that's my home country. What do you do in that situation? How do you respond to the various things that take place in your lives and in the world? That's kind of what Jeremiah is trying to address that for the exiles, and Peter is trying to address it for the exiles as well. The diaspora is often ostracized. Marginal misfits 
is the way that one person put it as an apt description. But Peter would not have the people of his day or us misunderstood. You're not just exiles, he says. You are elect exiles. You're chosen exiles, and that makes a difference. You know, being an exile, being a refugee, being a foreigner, being a stranger, being a refugee in a particular place is pretty discouraging. There's not a lot of hope there. It can be a time of despair. And Peter says, listen, I don't want you to think of it that way because you are elect. You are, are a chosen people. And just in the same way that the word exile is developed in the in the letter, just as I just showed you in different places, so is the word chosen. Peter's going to jump on this word chosen, and he starts right away with it, and he says, now, now I've got to explain this to you throughout. For example, in chapter 2, uh, as you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Chosen and precious, or, or verse 11 um, of this, or pardon me, I said 11, Verse 9 says the same thing. You are a chosen race. Peter's going to take two themes and he's going to run with them. On the one hand, you're exiles. On the other hand, you're chosen. And you have to see both of these things to understand appropriately who you are. Now, election or exiles are described a little bit by the word dispersion. But when he wants to explain what does it mean that you're elect to us, Peter then continues on with the Trinitarian description that we see that comes to us in verse 2 of our text. What does it mean? How did you become one of the elect, one of the chosen? Well, Peter explains it by reference to the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What that means, as many have noted, is that Gentiles are not an afterthought, okay? Opposite of foreknowledge, afterthought. And, and what, what is being said here is, listen, people, you're in a strange place. You're way away from a lot of other people who are out there. You're not an afterthought. In fact, from the very beginning, you have been foreknown. And that doesn't mean just that God knew about you a long time ago. It's that the Father set you in the sights of his covenantal love. The, the Father has targeted his covenantal love upon you. That's what foreknowledge is. To be known by God is to be covenantally loved by God. Just one example of this same word is in verse 20 of chapter 1. In 19, it talks about the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, the point isn't here that God knew about Christ before the foundation of the world. It's that he was in covenant love with the Son and with everything that the Son would do from before the foundation of the world. Second, your election is not only through the work of the Father, but it is applied by the sanctification, by the consecration of the Spirit. So the Father's work in the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who has made us holy, who has 
brought us into the orbit of a new world, of a new country. And in that new place, the atmosphere of that place is holiness. And you're in orbit of holiness right now because the Spirit of God has brought you into that. The Spirit of God quickened us, awakened us, that we might believe. And the Spirit of God applies to us the work of Jesus that we might become holy. So the work of the God the Father, of God the Holy Spirit, and then as it continues on in verse 2, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Your election is in Christ. His work accomplished it. His work results in what Paul, and this will be helpful in understanding that rather complicated phrase, obedience to, to Christ. Paul calls it the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, the, the command that we have in addition to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, as he was asked, what are the works that we must do to do the works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And this is the obedience of faith that's being described in this particular place as well. By the obedience of faith, we heed the command to believe because of what the Spirit has done and the sprinkled blood cleanses us just as the blood of the covenant did, and we won't get into this because we talked about it a few weeks ago, just as the, the sprinkled blood of the covenant that Moses did at Sinai, now that foreshadowed the real work of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood that goes out into the world. And so here's the thing. Election or being chosen isn't anything light. It's not a way of saying, hey, you got lucky, you won the lotto. And it's not a way of simply saying, you're special. Instead, when Peter is saying that you are elect, that you are chosen, what he is saying is that the work of the Father and of the Spirit and of the Son is what has made you into one of the elect and one of the chosen. It took all of it, and if you look at this, it's the work of creation, it's the work of the cross, and it's the work of Pentecost. Peter is saying, you are elect because of what the triune God has done for you. In fact, one can say, given the construction here of elect exiles, that it's actually your election by God that gives you your status as exiles in this world. You weren't an exile in this world until the election of God was applied to you. And when the election of God was applied to you, you became an exile. You became a sojourner in this world. You didn't fit in anymore at that particular point. And that's who we are as a church. The church is, sorry, a Greek word, the ekklesia, those who are called out. Called out of what? Called out of the ordinary course of this world called out to be together. We live in this world, but we're called out of this world to declare the praises of him who has called us. We'll get to that later in Peter. And that's why, that's why it oftentimes it feels to you like you don't fit, like you're out of sync with the world that is around us. It's why we as people, particularly we as Christians, feel so unsettled. It's not easy. Feeling like a pilgrim or feeling like an exile is not comfortable. 
one of the commentaries that I was reading uh, in preparation for this day reminded me of an old letter from the second century of the church where a disciple is writing to either a new convert or somebody who's seriously considering Christianity and describing Christianity for them. It's the letter to, or the epistle to uh, Diognetus. And the disciple makes these comments and, and listen to them in light of what I'm saying and in light of First Peter. He writes this, for Christians are no different from other people in terms of their country, language, or customs. Nowhere do they inhabit cities of their own, use a strange dialect, or live life out of the ordinary. They live in their respective countries, but only as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens, and they endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign territory is a homeland for them, every homeland foreign territory. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose them once they are born. They share their meals, but not their sexual partners. They are found in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but participate in the life of heaven. They are obedient to the laws that have been made, and by their own lives, they supersede the laws. Parentheses, they go the extra mile. They love everyone and are persecuted by all. They are not understood, and they are condemned. They are put to death and made alive. They are impoverished and make many rich. They lack all things and abound in everything. They are dishonored, and they are exalted in their dishonors. That's a description of what it means to be an elect exile. That's what it feels like. It felt like that for the people to whom Peter was writing. It felt like that in the second century when this letter was being writing and written, and it feels like that to us right now. That odd dissonance that exists in the world. One writer refers to it as the dissonance of the present life. Now, parentheses here for a moment, and I trust you understood this in the letter that I just read. The idea here that Peter is saying is not, listen, you're, you're weird, you're funny, you're peculiar, you can do whatever you want. You're just an odd type of people living in a place and just do whatever you want as an odd type of people. That's not what Peter's saying at all. In fact, Peter wants you to do the normal things that people do. They get married, they have children, they live in the country, they obey the laws of the country, they do stuff that everybody else does, they go to work. But nevertheless, they're different. No matter how much you do the same things as the people around you, sooner or later, you're going to be seen as different, as somehow odd because of the values that you hold. It's the dissonance of the present life, and we don't like dissonance. And so we might be tempted to adapt, to fit in, to change, to compromise, to get discouraged, to give up, to just become like the culture that is around us. Let me give you the easiest example. And there are lots that are more subtle than this one, but this is easy enough to see the point. Would it not be easier for you, young person, and Jack, for a moment, I'll give young people as under 35. How about that? Young people under 35. Would it not be easier for you to accept the views of human sexuality that are promoted in the world right now? Wouldn't that make life a little bit smoother for you? If you just went along with what goes on out in the world and with what the world has to say about that, you'd fit in better. 
You wouldn't stand out as a hater if you would just embrace those things, if you would just say, okay, I guess that's right. And that's easy to do. There's pressure to do that, right? To conform because you'd like to feel like you fit in. Everybody likes to feel like they fit in, like they belong to a particular place. And it's into that temptation that Peter speaks in this letter. And he doesn't just give some advice. He doesn't say, let me just give you some advice for living like this. He speaks as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's where he begins. An apostle of Jesus Christ, one who is deputized, authorized to speak for our Lord. He's not condescending as he does that. He's just direct in what he says. He writes elder to elder. He's writing actually exile to exile. There's, I think, a lovely poetic irony in a Galilean fisherman, Peter, writing from Rome, which he calls Babylon, and addressing people who live in Turkey as elect exiles. He's in Babylon. It's an exile-to-exile type of letter. I'm not any more home, he's saying, than you are. I'm an exile too, just like you. And because Peter knows by experience what it's like to be an exile, and he knows temptation, he knows what it is like to be tempted to capitulate, and he did it. He denied the Lord because it's easier in this world to deny the Lord. It's easier to say, and I, I didn't, I don't know him. I'm not with him. That Christian doing that thing over there, he's not mine. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not mine. I'm not with him. And Peter, of course, knows what that is like. And so he greets them with what they need absolutely the most for life in this world. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The lifeblood of the gospel, the oxygen of the Christian, together with love and with holiness, grace and peace are the primary qualities, the norms, the values that constitute the heavenly country of which we are citizens. They're gifted from God. They're essential. They're indispensable for life together in this world. Grace and peace, they define and they bind the community of the dispersed. They define and bind the community of those of us who are dispersed around the world. We don't need to wonder why Peter wrote this letter. He wrote it because being an elect exile scattered in the world is not easy. Peter is writing a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. That's what Edmund Clowney said. And so he closes, Peter, exactly where he began. And if you wonder why at the beginning of service, I say grace and peace to you in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and why at the end of the service we'll give a benediction that conveys some form, some part of the same thing, it's because you begin and you close there. Peter closes them with this. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. I'm explaining to you the grace of God. And he writes, stand firm in it. You've got to stand firm in this. That's your firm place to stand in a world that's not your home, in a country that's not your country, in a city that's not your city. 
and he closes with peace to all of you who are in Christ. Grace and peace to open, grace and peace to close, and grace and peace along the way. Let's pray. Lord, we have uh, miles to go in this letter. We have much to learn, much to hear from Peter. Help us now to just take from this the beginning, the idea, the concept, that we are elect exiles of the dispersion. And help that to settle into us and form us, to form our identity, our sense of who we are and how we make sense of the world that is around us. Guide us into that, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, let's stand.